this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at the last half of Romans chapter 14, and I've uh, entitled the sermon, The Kingdom of God. Praise God. So let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning I just want to give you praise, worship, honor, thanksgiving for touching our lives, for sending your only Son to take our place, hallelujah, and take the punishment that we deserve for our sins. Lord God, I just want to pray this morning and ask for the liberty of the Holy Spirit to come in this place and be welcomed, that your word be received as the words from God in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Praise God. So, we have been looking at Romans chapter 14 last week and this week. And even though it says uh, Romans 25, we are not on Romans 25. There are no 25 chapters in Romans. We are on the 25th sermon. Let's start in Romans chapter 14, verse 13. This is out of the New King James. Paul begins the sentence, therefore. And whenever it says therefore, it means look back just a minute on what was previously said. In verse 12, it says, each of us shall give account of himself to God. In other words, if you're a student of the Bible, you understand that on the day of judgment, you're not going to be able to point to somebody else and say, well, he or she, blah, 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 and I because of them. No, you're going to stand in front of God, and God's going to say, well, and he's going to say either well done, or he's going to say, well, done. But we have to give an account each one of ourselves, to God. What did you do with Jesus? I have a book at home every day of the year. Uh, there's something that happened in Christian history from B.C. to modern times. And uh, Evangelist D.L. Moody, on the night before the, or the night of the great Chicago fire, preached a sermon out of uh, the gospel where Pilate says, what we should we do with Jesus? And instead of giving everyone an invitation and an opportunity to respond, what will you do with Jesus? He said, go home and think about it. That night, the great Chicago fire took place. And I don't know how many hundreds of people died. The author of that famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, lost all of his real estate holdings and business he sent his wife and daughters over to Europe to get on a ship to go, uh, uh, you know, get away. And the ship sank on the way over there. His three daughters died. His wife made it to Europe. He got on a ship to head over there. And on the way over there, God spoke to him. Standing on the deck of the ship, the words to that hymn, it is well with my soul, came to him. That's what we have, the hope of the gospel, the hope of the resurrection from the dead, the hope of a life lived in relationship with the living God. Can you say amen? Praise God. That shouting material. I remember my stepdaughter lived in Denver when the Denver Broncos won the uh, Super Bowl. And, and we'd, we'd always, you know, we'd say things like, you know, I wish people got that excited about the things of God. And she said, she finally understood. She said, wow, these people were nuts. They were going crazy for a football team, which doesn't matter at a pill of beans in eternity. 
I wish people got that excited about Jesus and the things of God. That wasn't in my sermon, but <laughs> praise God. Chapter 14, there was a controversy in Rome. Some of the believers were Jews. Some of them were Gentiles. And so Paul in uh, the book of Romans in chapter 14, and he also had to address the same thing in the Corinthian church. According to Matthew Henry's commentary, there was a difference in opinion regarding food and days uh, to observe. So some of the Jews observed different uh, uh, days, and some of the Gentiles, they said, well, every day is the same. For the believer, every day now is Easter. Jesus has risen from the dead. He didn't go back in the grave. He's still alive. He lives to make intercession for us forevermore. So Matthew Henry says the problem was there was a mismanagement of the differences of opinion. Those who were strong and knew their Christian liberty despised the weak. They should have pitied them and helped them. They looked disdainfully and scornfully on their brothers. Those who were weak and dare not use their Christian liberty censured the strong as if they were lax Christians. They, the weak, judged the other ones to be breakers of the law. Those that have true faith will be held up because God is the one who gives comfort to those who they have a, a, a different opinion than you. And if that opinion came from God and the Word of God, that's okay. We don't want to be splitting hairs, as they say, arguing about things that don't really matter. We live for God. The opposite of living for God is living for yourself and living in self-preservation. Romans 14, 13 says, Therefore, in light of all of this, let us not judge one another any longer, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall. And this is from the King James Version, I believe. In our brother's way. And uh, uh, have a... Uh, a date study Bible, and a lot of the Bibles have a heading up on top of the page. Date's heading says, Our Christian Responsibility, not to put a stumbling block in front of anyone else. And my uh, little uh, old Bible here, it's uh, heading, Do not be a stumbling block. Nobody wants to be a blockhead. Can you say amen? Praise God. So in the Message Bible, Listen to how he puts it this way. Forget about deciding what's right for each other. Here's what you need to be concerned about, that you don't get in the way of someone else, making life more difficult than it already is. How many know life is difficult sometimes? Sometimes life is very difficult. Sometimes it's not so difficult. In uh, the book of Proverbs, it's, or, I believe it's Proverbs or Psalms, it says, As surely as sparks fly upward from a fire, man is born for affliction. There's problems in life, and it's not always easy to overcome the problems. Some of them are challenges, and some of them are downright problems. But don't make life more difficult for somebody else than it already is for them. Sometimes you have to use what they call tough love and steer people in the right direction. Sometimes God will tell you, let them do whatever they're going to do. If they fall, they fall before God. 
Not everyone has a right to speak into other people's lives. We used to have, uh, uh, you know, this idea. They didn't really say it, but in the, when I first got saved, I was going to this church that was very, very militaristically evangelistic. We'd go out street preaching, in a burning hell! <laughs> it doesn't really win too many people. I win one guy to Jesus, and I said, you know, without Jesus, you're going to hell. And he got saved, but he didn't stay saved. Anyway, Jesus didn't say go out to all the world and offend as many people as you can. Don't be a stumbling block. He said to teach them. Praise God. In uh, the King James Version, according to Jameson Fawcett and Brown's commentary, <clears throat> the literal translation here is, see if I got that to the point. There it is. Let us not judge one another. The literal translation is, do not assume the office of a judge. To be a judge, you have to go to school. You have to do a lot of learning. You have to be approved by others. So, there's a play on words here, though, in the King James Version. Do not judge. Instead of the word resolve, in the King James, it says, but rather judge this. So, the commentary says that uh, uh, instead of judging one another, judge this. Strong's con uh, exhaustive concordance says that this means to form an opinion or to decide. In the Amplified Bible, it says, let us no longer criticize one another. How many know there's lots of critics around? We're not called to be critics. We're called to be a blessing. No stumbling block. Say it with me. No stumbling block. Praise God, you did great. And then New American Standard Bible and the New International Version, it says stumbling blocks and don't put an obstacle in somebody else's way. In the New, new Rever Revised Standard Version, it says put no stumbling block and no hindrance in anyone else's way. In the King James, it says give no occasion for someone else to fall. In the Rames New Testament, it uh, adds the word, don't have anything that might cause a scandal. Can you say amen? Isn't that good advice? Don't do anything that will cause a scandal. There's been too many scandals in the kingdom of God. Too many scandals in, in Christianity over the, I don't know how many years. There's been the Crusades. How many know who Jim Jones was? That was awful. There's been all kinds of people that were held up as ideal Christians and they fell. There's been lots of scandal. Our job, our duty is to not do anything that would cause a scandal. Even the, mo the appearance, what might be evil, what might be wicked, what might be sin, don't do it. Vine's Expository Dictionary of Greek New Testament words. This word stumbling blocks, offense, is what it's translated as in reference to the use of Christian liberty. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, I can do all things. I'm allowed to do anything. All things are permissible for me. I can do whatever I want. However, he understood not everything is profitable. 
Not everything is profitable. Not everything will promote the kingdom of God. Not everything will make Jesus look good. I love it when Jesus is in the news. You go to the checkout stand at the news at the uh, grocery store, and there's Jesus on the cover of Time magazine or Newsweek or, or uh, uh, National Geographic. I love it when Jesus is in the news. That's people think, Jesus really real? Or is he, as the atheists call him, your imaginary friend? <laughs> I like that scene in the movie Tortured for Christ where Richard Wormbrand's in his uh, cell praying and the guard breaks in. Why are you still praying? Your wife's in prison. Your son's an orphan. You've got nothing. He just, I'm praying for you, he says to the prison guard. And he goes, pff, pff, slams the door and leaves. I'm praying for you. Blows a guy away. Harry thinks he's got nothing to live for. The guard's looking at Richard Wormbrand, and he says, I'm praying for you. There's plenty to pray for in the world. Can you say amen? Praise God. In first, John's first letter, chapter 2, verse 10, he writes these words. He says, He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. The Greek word scandalon, where we get the word scandal. Love is a safeguard against causing others to stumble. If you love people, you won't do stuff to offend them. You won't do stuff to cause them to stumble. And you say amen. Romans chapter 14, verses 14 and 15. I know. Here's Paul writing. I know. I love this phrase here. It's in John's uh, letters a lot. We know. I know. You know. He's really convinced. And he says, I am convinced by the Lord Jesus. What he's literally saying there is Jesus himself has convinced him. Jesus himself spoke to Paul. He appeared to Paul the Apostle several times. If you look in the book of Acts, appeared to him on the road to Emmaus, appeared to him in the prison a couple of times. He knew Jesus personally. And he writes, he says, Jesus has convinced him there's nothing unclean of itself. How many remember the uh, incident where Peter's on the rooftop in the town of Joppa? And it says that in a vision, he's hungry. And in a vision, a big sheet comes down from heaven, and there's unclean animals on there. And, and he hears God tell him, rise up, kill, and eat. You don't go to the grocery store back then. You had to go actually kill the animal if you're going to cook it yourself. And he says, oh, no, 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 these are all unclean. God, I'll never do anything like that. And what does God tell him? Don't call what I've made clean unclean. Why is that? Because Jesus, when he took our place on the cross, the Bible says, cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. Jesus became a curse for us in order to take the curse away from the entire universe. Jesus paid the price for the redemption, not only of human beings, not only of the earth, but the entire universe. It's all going to be restored to the way it was supposed to be in the beginning. So there's nothing unclean. The strong believers in Rome believed that the Old Testament rituals were not necessary. The weak people 
they believed that some of the food was sinful to eat. So what he's going on to say, he says, nothing is unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it's unclean. So this is a person who's not convinced that you can eat anything. And earlier on in chapter 14, it says some people, they believe you have to eat only vegetables, fruit. Some people say, oh, you can eat anything. I'm an omnivore. That's why God gave me these teeth. Before I got saved, in my B.C. days, I was a wannabe hippie. I was a strict vegetarian. I had a nice little cast iron frying pan. I would eat eggs and cheese, but no meat was ever allowed to touch my frying pan. No, 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 no. I got invited to go over to eat at my parents' house one night, and uh, I brought my own food. <laughs> There's a big, long table. There's 13 kids in my family, and I brought my own food. And my dad and mom looked at me like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I was a vegetarian because I thought I would get closer to God because I was not eating any animals. and I was just as much a sinner as any. It didn't matter what I ate. I was a sinner in need of salvation. Food had no bearing. Thank you, Kathy. Food had no bearing on whether or not my relationship with God was right. And so this is what Paul's talking about here. Yet, in verse 15, Yet, if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Say somebody, you know, we have a, a potluck once a month. and This happened in our old church. There was a couple from Pennsylvania, and I guess they uh, weren't into Mexican food. And we had a potluck at the church many, many years ago, not this church. And uh, apparently somebody said something about the food that these people brought, and they never came back to church. I thought, man, that was sad. I liked what they brought. But somebody said something. If your brother is grieved before your, of your food, you're no longer walking in love. That's the bottom line. We're supposed to love one another and be kind to one another and not say nasty things to each other. Excuse me. <clears throat> so in the Message Bible, it says, translate this, don't make a big issue over what you eat or don't eat. It's really not that consequential. Some people base their whole relationship on God with what you eat and what you don't eat. I say, man, I've ate some. I went to the South Pacific, and we ate snails out of the river. We ate limpets. We, we ate whatever. <laughs> Caught a bunch of crawdads and ate them. Fish. Yeah. In Tahiti, we had rice and fish for breakfast, rice and fish for lunch. And for variety, we had fish and rice for dinner. <laughs> I ate octopus. Oh, man, that was good. But food is not the issue. Salvation is the issue. A relationship with God is an issue. And what does he say on here? The rest of it, he says, do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. This is such an important phrase here. The one for whom Christ died. Jesus died for every single soul on the planet Earth, whether they believe it or not. When would food 
destroy somebody? Hopefully not. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, Paul writes, he says, Every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. When you go out to the restaurant to eat, <laughs> pray over your food. <laughs> Let people see. We're praying over our food. I'd seen a guy, he just closed his eyes and went like this, and I guess he was praying God. I didn't hear in the word. Prayer is something you do out loud. There's very, very few times in the Bible where people pray silently. Prayer is meant to be prayed out loud. My uh, mom's cousin knew that I was a vegetarian years ago, and when I got saved and went back for a visit, he asked me something about it, and I quoted that. I said, God made everything to eat. Praise God. But the value and worth of one's soul cannot be more emphatically expressed by the phrase, the one for whom Christ died. Listen to what it says in Duffield and Van Cleve's uh, 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 Bible College, uh, Foundations of Pentecostal Theology. God's righteousness is demonstrated by the great extent to which God went in sending His Son to die for us. The grace and love of God are beyond measure. Can you say amen? Praise God. Isn't that good news that you cannot exhaust God's love? You cannot exhaust God's grace? As Dr. Mike Petra says, there's not enough sin in the universe to nullify the unquestionably successful sacrifice of Jesus. Hallelujah. He paid it all. The grace and love of God are beyond measure. If there had been any other way for mankind to be saved without the ordeal of the cross, God would not have subjected His Son to it. The cross demonstrates not only the love and mercy of God, but also the sinfulness of sin. I'll say that again. The cross demonstrates not only the love and mercy of God, but also the sinfulness of sin. Sin is so great a, a power over people's lives. It destroys people. It kills them. But Jesus came to set the captives free. His love is more powerful than sin. So we need to be careful that we don't offend the one for whom Christ died and cause others to stumble. Can you say amen? Praise God. No stumbling block. Hallelujah. Chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. Anybody ever been criticized? <laughs> Leave it there. <laughs> Praise God. Do not let your good be spoken of evil. Your God, or your good, that is your Christian liberty concerning days and meats, it's not about what you put in your stomach. It's not about things that maybe you have offended people. Try not to be offensive. Praise God. But I like verse 17. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, not what you put in your stomach, but righteousness and peace 
and joy in the Holy Ghost. There is a three-part sermon right there. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God, God has given us His righteousness. We could not attain our own righteousness. All our righteousnesses, the Bible says in Isaiah, are as filthy rags before God. None of us are good enough to be right with God on our own power. But God has extended mercy to us by sending His Son to die in our place so that we could be forgiven, so that we can receive the righteousness of God, and we have peace with God. Isn't that lovely? I love to have peace with God. No guilty conscience, no problem in our hearts to say God has accepted us, God has received us, God has given good gifts to mankind when he ascended on high. He led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men, even unto the rebellious. Praise God. God is good, and he does good. Hallelujah. Excuse me, and he gives us his peace. We have peace with God, and we also have joy in the Holy Spirit. God has poured out his spirit. He's pouring his spirit out. And I'm looking forward to the day when it's fully fulfilled, where it says in Joel, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, all flesh. Every human being will be touched by God. I can hardly wait. We pray for revival. Oh, God, we need revival in this nation. We need revival in this world. We need the Spirit of God to be poured out on all flesh, on our sons and our daughters, uh, on our servants, uh, whatever, everybody. Praise God. When you go to your prayer closet, pray, God, send revival. God, pour out your Spirit. Get emotional. Get crazy for God. Pour out your spirit, God. Send revival. Amen. Praise God. Not about what you put in your stomach. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20 says, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus came to Galilee saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And believe in the gospel. Matthew chapter 3 verse 2. And chapter 4 verse 17. John the Baptist and Jesus say the same thing. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or has drawn near. It's here. The kingdom refers to the proper business. According to Jameson, Fawcett and Brown's commentary. For which Christians are formed into a community. Or a church of renewed people people that have been born again in complete submission to God. Every kingdom has a king. Here in this country, we, don't, we have no clue what a lord is. We elect our officials. Some are appointed. But in England, they have kings. Well, they have a queen right now. But they have lords in England. And these people are elevated above the rest of society. And they get to tell you what to do. Jesus is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And Jesus gets to tell us what to do. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Great memory verse. 6.33. 3 and 3 is 6, so Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. 6, 
633. Put this in your memory bank. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Isn't that a great promise? Praise God. I like Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Anybody ever listened to Handel's Messiah? This, he, he died not too long after working hours and hours on this masterpiece. Handel's Messiah. I love when they sing, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called this is Jesus he's talking about. Jesus' name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor. Jesus is Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. is Jesus. I don't understand at all how Father, Son, and Holy Ghost could all be God and separate. But I believe it. The Prince of Peace. And verse 7, my favorite part, of the increase of His government and peace there will be no end. In the letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes and he says, he's looking forward to the day when God, His Spirit, the presence of God, fills all in all. It increases, abounds, and overcomes, and, and fills everything. And everyone will come to know Jesus and know God. Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom that great news? It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Acts chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas flee to Lystra. They preach the heal a lame man. Some people come from another city and they stir everybody up. They stone Paul and drag him out of the city. They think he's dead. <laughs> Same with Lazarus. The, Lazarus is raised from the dead. The Jewish leaders, uh, they say, hey, we better kill Lazarus too. <laughs> we killed, he died once and he came back to life. Guess what's going to happen next time you kill him? <laughs> He's going to come back to life. They stone Paul, drag him out of the city. Well, we're done with him. <laughs> he gets up and goes back in the city. Hi, right, guys. <laughs> Have eternal life. <laughs> Praise God. From there, he goes to the city of Der Derby, and they preach the gospel there. They go back to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, and these are in modern-day Turkey. And in verse 22, it says, As they visit these other cities again, they strengthen the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith. Isn't that great exhortation? Continue trusting Jesus every single day. Trust Him. The Bible says, uh, as many as believe, receive. But it's not just a one-time deal. In the Greek language, this is a continuous thing. Whoever believes and keeps on believing continuously, receives continuously. Thank God there's times where it seems like, you know, God's nowhere around. But then there's times when you feel the presence of God so intensely. It's like, oh, man. Get refreshed. Can you say amen? Continue in the faith. And then they say, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Why would he say that? Because Jesus said, in this world, 
you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. But be of good comfort. I have overcome the world, Jesus said. He's overcome. Hallelujah. So if he could do it, we could do it. Hallelujah. A kingdom has a king. And the proper business and blessedness for which Christians are formed into a church of born-again believers is to live in subjection to God. Why? So that we could be a blessing to the communities we live in, to our neighbors, to people in the, in the, in the area here, here in the Marana. There's no accident that this church is here in Marana. We're just getting started. <laughs> My favorite movie is The Princess Bride. and That's his little phrase. Truly, your intellect is dizzying, he tells the... Uh, the Sicilian, he said, I'm just getting started. God's just getting started in this church. This is a pioneer work here in this church. We're just getting started. God's got an awesome destiny for this congregation. It's no accident that you all are here. It is no accident that you, you just happen to walk in. No. God has done all this. You, somehow or another, it's no accident. God has touched your life and brought you in, and God has a plan for this congregation. We're going somewhere. We're going to touch the world. Ask of me, the Bible says, and I will give you the nation. Endermost ends of the earth for your inheritance. The meek shall inherit the earth. Praise God. But we can't do it on our own. We need God's help. <clears throat> so, we'll go. That's why we got the Holy Spirit. He who serves Christ in these things, there's the point, there we are, is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue or seek after the things which make for peace, peace among us, peace among uh, unbelievers, and the things by which one may edify another or one another or each other. In the Message Bible, who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God. Your task is to single-mindedly serve Christ. Say it with me. My job is to single-mindedly serve Jesus. Notice in verse 17, it's the kingdom of God. And then in verse 18, here's the king, God in Christ, the same person, same being. We're to edify one another. <clears throat> Seek for things which make for peace. Is anyone too strong? Well, let God humble them. <laughs> it's not our business to, you know, we have a pastor who can bring correction. It's not our, we had all kinds of problems in churches throughout the years that everybody gets in other people's businesses. It's not what we're supposed to do. If you do have opportunity to share, to say something, or to help somebody, do it so that that person is built up. Meals are for sharing the life of Christ. When we fellowship, when we get together and, and share a meal, talk about Jesus. 
What's Jesus doing in your life these days? God is opening doors for me here. God's closing doors for me there. I got to witness to somebody. <clears throat> I got to lead somebody to Jesus. I got to pray for somebody. God touched somebody. God used us. Talk about the things of God. Meals are for sharing the life of Christ. God's put his life in us. Praise God. Let's go on to verse 20 through 21. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Here's another important phrase, the work of God. He has begun a good work in you, promised to bring it about the day of completion. Very interesting. I looked this up, the work of God. And in Strong's Concordance, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, you are God's workmanship. There's a very interesting um, word there. The only place it's found in the New Testament, but it's related to a primary word. And the primary word has a bunch of different meanings, but the one that struck me was God's workmanship to lighten the ship. Anybody ever been out on the ocean? It's pretty awesome out there. Nothing around but waves and wind. And there as you are in your ship, Paul was shipwrecked one time, or actually several times, and it says one of the times they threw everything overboard. They lightened the ship to try and make it easier for the ship to get through. But they crashed anyway. But to lighten the ship is very intriguing to me because if you've ever watched uh, sailing events or have you ever been sailing and there's just the wind blowing your sails and moving your boat, you don't want a lot of stuff weighing down the boat because the more stuff you got on the boat, the lower the boat is in the water, and then uh, the waves can come on. And you don't want the waves getting in the boat. So you lighten the load. Your life is like that sailboat, blown by the wind of God. The Spirit of God is blowing you here and there, and it's got a course and a direction, and not always easy. Smooth seas never made a skillful sailor. Sometimes you have to go through the storm. But God promised, I will go through the storm with you. I will go through the fire with you. I'll go through the flood with you. To lighten the load, God tells you, get rid of that. You don't need that in your life anymore. Lighten the load. Because it's God who's at work in us both to will and to do. His good pleasure. Praise God. Is this good preaching? Praise God. Not because of me, but God has given me these things to say to you, to hopefully build you up. Lighten the ship. Makes it a lot easier. There's an old song. It says, if the horse don't pull you to carry the load, I don't know whose back's that strong, but we may find out before too long. <laughs> but it's better to lighten the load than you say amen. The work of God. So he goes on to say, all things are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. So we don't want to offend people. It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Here's something interesting. I found this word here for wine doesn't always mean intoxicating drink. It could be juice. It could be anything. 
We know that Proverbs chapter 20, we obviously know it doesn't mean intoxicating wine because Paul would never want us to get drunk because in uh, Galatians it says that the work of the flesh is drunkenness. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 20 verse 1 says that whoever is given to wine is led astray and they are not wise because wine is a mocker. Excuse me. Work of God. He also says here, he repeats what he said in verse 15 about food destroying your brother and uh, <clears throat> not walking in love. He cautions, according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's commentary, Paul cautions against the too free use of Christian liberty in matters where other Christians are not persuaded. You want to be careful what you allow yourself to do so you don't. Before I got saved, I was an alcoholic. I grew up from a young age. My dad and mom had our own. We all, 13 of us, had our own little beer mug. My dad had a big one, but we had little ones. We had beer with dinner. But eventually, I became an alcoholic, and it was not good. And when I first got saved and started serving God, I still thought it was okay to drink beer because I drank beer with dinner. But God dealt with me because we would go street preaching and we got some of the guys living on the street saved. Started coming to church. And God dealt with me. You need to be a good example to these guys. It may be okay for you to have beer with your dinner. But these guys, I don't think they would be able to withstand the temptation to, okay, that's enough. And so God dealt with me. Be a good example. Don't do that no more. Okay, no problem. There's been times, hasn't happened in a long time, but there were times I can remember wanting to have a beer. I could taste it. No, 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 no. God said no. So I said, okay, God, I agree with you. No, 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 no. Because I did not want to cause somebody to stumble or be offended or made weak. Praise God. So we have to be careful in our liberty. And this will end with these two verses. Do you have faith? That'd be a great bumper sticker. Got faith? You guys have my permission to copyright that and produce them and... <laughs> <laughs> sell them and make lots of money and put it into the kingdom of God. Got faith? Praise God. Not mere sincerity, according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, not a private opinion, but conviction as to what is the truth and will of God. I'll never forget, I studied to be a Roman Catholic priest. I ate it through my first semester barely. And I remember we had to read the Bible. What an amazing thing. A man of God should read the Bible. Can you say amen? I'll never forget, as long as I live, I was reading John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 28. If you continue in my word, you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. And the word truth got like this big and jumped out of the page. And never forget it, as long as I live. I said, Something inside of me said, yes. I want to know the truth. 
And it took years for me to find out the truth that I was a sinner in need of salvation. And Jesus provided, God provided that salvation in Jesus. It was so simple. I needed to get saved. All those years growing up, I thought I was uh, right with God. And then the more I read the Word of God, the more I realized I'm not right with God. Holy cow, help me. And it didn't take the holy cow. It took the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Arguing will destroy other people's faith. There is room for discussion with the weak, but guard your conscience with holy jealousy. Because the weak, they lack knowledge. You can explain things to people. There's room for discussion. You can agree to disagree, but you can do the best you can to humbly try to explain to other people when they have a question. Those that are strong have to be careful that they don't despise the weak. And keep in heart love of God for them. Our faith is a personal relationship with Jesus. It goes on to say at the end here, he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. This phrase here, whatever is not from faith is sin. We walk by faith and not by sight. Jake's commentary says, you personally should know or must know beyond all doubt or hesitation in your mind that what you allow yourself to do is in perfect accord with the Word of God. Your faith is a personal relationship with Jesus. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 is another great memory verse. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. If you want to know what the will of God is, read your Bible. If you read four chapters a day, you can read the whole Bible in about a year. Read ten chapters a day, you can read the Bible about three times in a year. If you don't know where to start, start in John's Gospel. John's Gospel was written to the Greek people. Their society was very similar to ours today. You're reading John's Gospel, you see Jesus was a human being like us, and he was God at the same time. After you read that three times, then read the other gospel. And get Jesus' perspective. We started doing a study on uh, <clears throat> the, based on the uh, movie uh, Tortured for Christ, and uh, there's a quote in there from Napoleon Bonaparte. Napoleon Bonaparte almost took over the world of his day. But there's a quote in there. He studied leaders. He studied war. And he said, somebody asked him about Jesus Christ. And he said, there's no one to compare to Jesus Christ. No living person. His ideas, the things that he's quoted as saying, nobody compares to Jesus Christ. He's not a mere man. He could not have been a mere man. Not with those ideas. Not with what he did. Not with what he said and did. This Jesus is something else. You get to know Jesus by reading the Word of God. Then read the letters, instructions. Romans, the letter to the Romans is a long letter. But there's so much theology in there. Thank God for people like John Wycliffe risked his life to translate the Bible into English. 
Martin Luther translated the Bible into German under the protection of the king. He was sentenced to, to death. He was supposed to be killed. They, they issued a death warrant for him. And the king in Germany, I don't remember his name, they hid him, protected him in the castle in Württemberg. Did not allow him to be killed. They translated the Bible into German, and now German is one of the technical languages of the world because it, it, it unified all of the different dialects that they had. In India, they have, I forget how many different dialects. People in southern India can't talk to people in northern India because they have different languages. In the same nation, thank God for people that give us the Word of God in our own language that we can understand it. Like I said before, uh, one of the uh, uh, Wycliffe uh, Bible translators was uh, selling uh, Spanish Bibles to some Indians down in Mexico, and, and uh, the one Indian chief tells him, if your God's so smart, how come he can't read my language or speak my language? And so he, they translated the Bible into their language, and they said, ah, now God speaks my language. There was a tribe in Africa where they would... Uh, I bring the, the Bible and uh, they, they preach to them whatever language the Bible was written in. And these tribe, they finally got the, lang the Bible in their own language and they said, Ha! Now God has come to dwell with us because we have his word. But I said all that to say this the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here and it's continuing to grow and prosper. And you have an opportunity. Like no other opportunity to be a part of that. That's exciting stuff. You and I, if we've born again, we've received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We're part of the kingdom of God. We've got a great destiny. Awesome destiny. We have an inheritance. <coughs> excuse me. Secured in heaven for us. 